sometimes wonder why I do this. It takes a lot of my time. My time is stretched already. Between my full-time job, my family's growing and cooking much of what we eat, the precious time I get to enjoy with my family, with Ben and Sam and Arno and, and all our friends and, and broader family, and the time I need just to feed my soul with books and walks and more solitary pursuits. This podcast is a gift from me to you. I'm Heather McLeod. It takes some of our family's money, too. Not much, but some, which is also stretched. There are other things I could be spending money on that one could easily consider more valuable than recording something only to give it away in the hopes you might choose to listen. But you are listening. And I'm so glad to be heard. And I think we should think about value and joy because I'm so glad to share with you this conversation I had with Kevin Brooks. It's all about the joy of connecting, of listening and being heard, about appreciating the gift of choosing to show up and participate in your community, not because you're getting paid, not because you don't have other things you could do, but choosing to help to shape and inform, to lead, to pitch in. I really think our assumptions about what's worth doing, what nourishes us, what brings us joy, is not actually very well informed about knowing us, complicated, emotional human beings. I don't know what it's rooted in. Maybe stories we hear, notions we're taught. I I don't know. But I have to tell you, this podcast does give me more than it takes. Plus, this podcast is an excuse to get creative to compose for you a a wee something every episode of the season. So, you know, here's the chorus for today's song I wrote just now for you. Grow dirt, it's a metaphor for life. Dirt is anything but inert, it teems with life. sloppy but brand new just for you I'll give you the whole thing when you've heard the whole conversation and this conversation was also a joy I think our assumptions of what makes us happy and well worth our time can miss the joy you get from helping and connecting with with your community like helping to organize the Northwest Climate Gathering coming up November 25th and 26th, really soon, which both Kevin Brooks and I are doing, as you'll hear. I'll include a link to the website for that event in this episode, and I I encourage you to check it out to come and join us if you can. Kevin Brooks supports graduate students studying social justice at Lakehead University. What a mine of information and what a lovely person. Another joy of this podcast is having an excuse to have the conversation and to go and visit Kevin. I left as the sun was rising, and when I parked in front of his home, that rising sun was perfectly framed by the buildings around us and the street that drops down towards the water. The sunset was over the sleeping giant, and it was spilling light and color all across the sky that was reflected off the bay. It was just stunning. On an autumn day, below zero, smelling like the snow that has not quite yet fallen, at least not to stay. And inside, a beautiful home full of of finds and treasures and gifts that have been carefully framed and and celebrated on the walls, a lovely home in which I was offered a lovely strong cup of coffee and a seat in their sunroom, a very resonant space. You can hear the sound bouncing around us as we spoke off the the wooden floors and all the glass windows looking out over the autumnal garden. It was lovely. So it takes me a while to set up for these interviews. I have an old bag that I actually was gifted when I used to host events for Canada Reads. 
So it says Canada Reads on it, and, and into it I stash my traveling recording studio. I unpack an old computer with a recording program on it that I chose because it's the most like the one I used at CBC for decades. <laughs> I unpack a microphone that I've owned for over 30 years that still smells a bit of beer and bars. And a microphone cord that's long enough to snake from a soundboard through an audience to a stage way longer than is needed for this. But it works. It takes me a good five minutes to put it all together. And once I'm set up, Kevin and I started to chat about what we'd like this conversation to encompass while I set levels to make sure that things were caught loud enough but not too loud. Uh, any other things you want to... Make sure um, we touch on. You know, we might want to talk about environmental stuff. I'm okay with that. You know? <laughs> I just discovered a new philosopher yesterday, uh, Kate Soper. I don't know if you... One of the early articulators of degrowth. And what does she call it? Um, alternative hedonism or hedonism, right? Because I think her argument, as I'm starting to understand it, is that while she is leftist Marxist, she also thinks we can't just say, you know, scarcity. We can't just say... Um, you know, we can't live our lives. We've got to figure out how people can still enjoy themselves, have pleasure, and yet also save the planet or at least protect their, their territory of the planet and, and just do consumerism differently, right? Not stop consuming, but do it differently. And thank that's you. all I know about her. So thank you for having me in your home. I'm just really happy and honored to get to be okay, here with you. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to have you here. We love having people over. We love sharing the house. It is not ours. We <laughs> moved in five years ago and got lucky when we moved to town. Yeah, well, it's it's great as the sun rises to be mm. with this view of the giant and this beautiful bright space. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, but we have only a little time and there's so many things I'd like to talk to you about. So you decided to step forward the same day I did when Madison put out this call and said, let's do something with the community. And as it's unfolded now, the two of us have this job at this gathering. We're going to help, as each topic is raised and people come back together after chewing it over in smaller groups, to, to turn a group of people with a common interest that have chosen to spend time together into a more cohesive community with goals we can track. Now. Any expertise I have in this is pure hubris, really. <laughs> but this is your field. So what are your thoughts on how we might do this and how this works? Yeah, it's a great question. For me, it's a lot like teaching right, in a classroom discussion. And if we break them out into groups, then we've got to bring each other back together again and see where we're connecting over issues or even where we're disagreeing. But just try to, there's always that process of trying to clarify either how we're coming together or where we're a little bit stuck or different. Uh, in our understanding of the topic, whatever it is that day. And so I think this kind of work is exciting in a public forum where it's not a classroom and it's a little more challenging. Uh, we don't know people as well as I would know my students. So we'll, we're going to have fun trying to figure out how everybody connects or has some differences that they want to acknowledge but also respect. And so, yeah, it, it'll just be a juggling act, I think, but that could be fun. We're not going to solve it in no, a weekend, no. too. It's just sort of... And really, I think of it as establishing a new way to think of ourselves as people committed to our community. Because not everybody in Thunder Bay is there, but it's going to be an interesting cross-section. Yeah, and I think what will be really important is making sure everybody feels like they've really been heard. Right? I think this could go wrong, and I don't think we'll do this, but if we accidentally sort of said, well, this is the way we need to think about something, somebody's out there in the crowd is going to go, oh, I'm in the wrong room here. I'm in the wrong group. And so we'll want to make sure... Everybody feels heard on that first weekend and and that we're just also going to try to make sure that people want to come back, right? Um, so get them cohesive enough that they say, yeah, this is a group that I want to hang out with again in a month or in two months or whenever, or a small subsection of the group. You know, I think we'll be trying to figure those things out. Yeah. And I also think there'll be some time spent on language. Sure. Um, because often when you are deeply into a topic or have invested in a goal, you start to use words in a really specific way that other people might not understand. Or uh, you might use a word thinking it means one thing, and other people have different associations with that word. So unpacking words yeah, to make sure we um, are 
are not triggering each other, but are actually better understanding each other might be part of what you and I do. Absolutely. And, you know, us academics are the worst for that, right? Because one of us might drop the word Anthropocene and everybody will be like, ooh, wait a second. <laughs> what are we talking about here? And so, yeah, I think getting that language and getting people comfortable with that language. I think, especially in the environmental movement, other than words like Anthropocene, uh, there's, there's a lot of, you know, really natural language that can help. We're, you know, I think the word degrowth might come out mm -hmm. and people will be able to connect to that even if they've never heard it before there that's a word that makes sense right if you've never heard anthropocene before you either have to be really good in greek or you gotta be okay, really tell, fascinated tell me what it is. oh okay we have, see i assumed you knew <laughs> anthropocene right so so uh, scholars talk about being in this era of the anthropocene where the human impact on the planet has become so significant that that's the defining period, right? Before that, we called it things like the Paleocene, right? That was the particular geological era, right? And now we've got really what is a human era, and that it's the human impact that is making the difference. And then there's other little variations on that that we won't go into today. <laughs> but tell me about degrowth. So what's degrowth? Yeah, so the degrowth movement would be one that is, I think, a little bit more accessible, uh, recognized by scholars and activists that, uh, that we are on this sort of Path, this narrative assumption that growth, right? We always need growth. We always hear people on the radio or TV talking about economic growth being so important for our city or for our province or for our country. And there's a group of scholars and activists who'll say, we're, we're going at this exactly the wrong way. That is the problem, right? We need to think about degrowth, how to slow that down, how to reverse that pattern while still leading a rich and meaningful life. You know, I think that's the key part that, that we need to get to with a topic like that. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourself, you can't consume anything, but it means doing it much more responsibly, um, doing it in a way that's uh, environmentally and economically sustainable. Well, as a financial planner, there you what go. that makes me think of, <laughs> no, it's, it's huge. So when I sit down with people, um, often we find that they're living beyond their means. Uh, they don't realize they are. They're living according to the, what they see around right. them, and, and they're meeting goals they know are important, like not carrying credit card debt or whatever it might be in their case. But when we crunch the numbers and look at what they want to do and, and what they have to do it with, they're beyond their means. And so there's two solutions. One is to make more money, right, right, and the other is to spend less right, money. Right. right? So we, I feel, as a, as a species on the planet, are coming to the same realization as right. when, of the two, making more money is not really in your own hands. Right. And it's not very sustainable. You can't keep on making more money. You're going to be right. a point where you want to stop having to make money at all. And so to get to that point faster, you have to spend less. And as soon as you spend less, not because you can't afford it, but because you've changed your priorities right. to match your goals and to make important what's most important to you, people tend to invest in their time, right. in their relationships, in giving themselves experiences, yeah. and they lessen their possessions. And that it's amazing for me to see how healthier everybody is, how yeah. happier they are, how much richer they are yeah. when they spend less yeah. than when they try to earn more. Right, and replace that five-minute car ride with a 15-minute bike ride, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's often sort of given as the easy example in the degrowth of just making those decisions. And I love how you articulated that that also enhances your life, right? I think maybe people are like, I don't have that extra 10 minutes to bike to the store, but then you do it a couple times and both you had the time and you feel better and you got it. And I just love, you know, getting out cycling and just recognizing how much differently you experience a city when you're on the cycle, right? In terms of sounds, in terms of smells, and whether good or bad, but all of a sudden the sensory environment is so much richer than it is when you're in your car. And that's a really wonderful experience. Yeah, and that's one of the themes I've had with people that are choosing to come and trying to, to weigh with me whether they want to be with us. Right. Because if it's all about anger mm -hmm. and stopping, mm -hmm. they've had that conversation <laughs> enough times, right? Yeah. And they're deep into their own practice of, how do I want to live my life? What is the legacy I want to leave behind? And in um, really thinking about that and owning that day-to-day decision-making values, they're leading the way to what good looks like, which is a happier, more sustainable, more connected, yeah. relationship-oriented, and comfortable with the impact of your decisions, that they're more good than bad all around. Yeah, I mean, that, that takes, that's very personal in many ways, 
but it's also incredibly inspirational to be around. So one of my um, gurus in that world is Betty Karpik, right? Okay. And you see Betty is an artist. She comes out and does lovely art that, that is clearly tied to the world that we live in. But then you spend a little more time with her and you realize how she gets around, what she chooses to do with her time, how she invests in relationships. All of it is so thoughtful and grounded. And it's inspirational. It's not about going away and worrying about what you did wrong. It's <laughs> right, about right. really celebrating what you can do right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's so important, right? Many scholars, uh, activists, again, talking about doing what's within your reach, right? And not, not feeling like I'm coming up short, but just doing that thing that's within your reach. And so if it's something simple, uh, my personal example that I like to use is that I got into composting about 10 years ago or so, right? And I wasn't a gardener. I just... Actually, no, I remember, I, I remember seeing a presentation by a colleague from biology. She, she was just explaining composting, and I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. And I started doing that, and so for probably five years or so, I would just tell people I'm growing dirt. But I loved it, right? I, loved, I just loved the process of actually collecting all that stuff and, and putting it in my compost instead of putting it in my garbage. I just loved it. gave me a chance to just get outside and enjoy being outside in my backyard for a while. Uh, and then when it really started to grow, right, when the chemistry took over, I was like, this is really cool. My, my little pile burning here, right? And I didn't put a match to it or anything. And, and now, now I garden, right? So it became this process over 10 years of just starting with that small thing. Okay, I'm going to try throwing my peels uh, in a pile. <laughs> and then it became a little bit of an obsession uh, and even a metaphor, right, for then thinking about life when we've got stuff right, that it is weighing on us, well, maybe we can, you know, kind of throw that away for a while, we can pile that over in, you know, our metaphorical backyard and let that regenerate in some ways, and, and, and then maybe we can deal with it, right, and maybe we can replant something more interesting in that problem area from our past, so, yeah, it just went from, again, that really small step into now a part of my life and, and part of my thinking about the world, composting, wow. <laughs> What I love, too, is bringing it back to philosophy. Uh, how we think about things is so powerful. And when we're regretting these decisions that we as a species have made that are hurting our home, you can get really negative about people, mm-hmm. you know, and think of us as being something that needs to be controlled and, and uh, addressed and there should be less of us. But again, one of the themes coming up from some of the people coming is we are powerful and as a group most powerful when we do things together and we can be powerful for good very quickly and it's usually quiet it's not the the, there's the star and here's the lights it's much more of a here's the community and here's their understanding of things and the choices they've, they've made in owning their opportunities being a community that is more autonomous I think is part of the solution where we own all of our opportunities to make choices and, and shape our connection to our world, yeah. um, as opposed to feeling like you're the company store, sort of some a cog in somebody else's machine with very little power to change the big things going on around you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my best experiences around community building happened in Fargo, North Dakota, where I lived for 20 years. And I got really involved there more in immigration, refugee resettlement <laughs> issues than environmental issues. Um, but at, after doing some you know, hard groundwork and stuff, we started to pull together events. And one of the things that we had recognized in a community like that, and I think it's somewhat true in Thunder Bay as well, is that people of certain nationalities know each other and, and support each other, right? So in, in Thunder Bay, it would be probably the Syrian community and the Karan community, right? They're, they're pretty tight-knit and support each other. But what they don't often see is the settler community connecting with them or other people from other countries and ethnic groups connecting with them. And in Fargo, when we got to this point, I remember there was this one really specific meeting. We were trying to launch this new organization, and we had people from everywhere, right? We had people from Somalia and South Sudan and Congo and Rwanda, and we had, you know, the Norwegians are big in Fargo, right? So we had people, you know, the settlers from that group and, and everywhere else. And I remember people saying, like, we've arrived, right? Like this is a new moment in the city when we really brought together so many different communities. And I think the same thing might be happening around the environmental movement in Thunder Bay. I think I've learned here in in my five years that there's lots of people working on it 
it's less clear to me, I could be wrong, but it's less clear to me that everybody's had a chance to really come together and really get to know each other and understand what everybody's working on. So I'm really excited about this being one of those moments where people might look around and go, oh, I think we've arrived now, right? I think we're at a new stage. So that's one of the things that I'm excited about. And I've loved some of the people you've introduced me to, right? Like I know I moved to Thunder Bay 21 years ago and I had the privilege of a job where I had to go out and meet people like every day, that was my job. But I've been out of the journalism loop for a long time and deep in my parenting, you know, small circle also most of that time. Those are my excuses. But I think all of us are the same, you know? We kind of know who we know, we think we know a lot of people and it's true. Uh, and that makes it hard for new people to feel like they right. really are a part of this community. So you've been lovely in introducing some people to this process that are newer to Thunder Bay and bringing so much to the conversation. Yeah, I, I got to hear your podcast talking about Becca May, and right, she's an amazing force um, who's going to bring so much to the gathering. And then I don't know if others like uh, Juan uh, Sanchez Martinez has reached out to you or not, but he's a new professor in Indigenous Learning at Lakehead. Um, comes to us from North Carolina, but originally from Colombia, from Bogota. Uh, just brings a wealth of knowledge and a connection to the earth. Right? Talk about somebody who really understands what it means to take care of a place. That is sort of fundamentally what he's about as far as I've gotten to know him. So he's going to bring a really exciting new perspective to that group. Um, and I also I want to backtrack a little bit. I, I could be wrong again. I think there could also be a re connection happening here. I I have heard other people say that things were pretty active sort of uh, pre-COVID, you know, in the community. And so sometimes you also just need those kinds of events too, right? People definitely got separated during those two years or so. And now if this is a chance for people to come back together again and to see, I think what excites people who've been working in this community on these issues for 20 years, for 30 years, if if they come to this gathering and there's 15 or 20 people there that they don't know, they're going to be excited, right? There's like, whoa, there's, we've got some fresh energy here. Um, and so that's always really exciting. I teach an article in class, uh, in my social justice theory class about social movements, and the author of that has been a, you know, an activist forever, and she tells a little story about being in, at a gathering, I think it was the Black Lives Matter gathering in Toronto, probably in, uh, you know, in 2020 after George Floyd, and she said, I thought I knew the activists in Toronto, and then I go to this event, and I hardly knew anybody, and I was excited. You know, I think we might see some of that happen. And there has been conversations about how to ensure that people see themselves as leaders that are welcome mm-hmm. to join this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so important, right? And I think one of the, one of the fundamental keys of community organizing is usually that you are, you're doing the work of developing leadership, right? Obviously, you're trying to achieve a goal. You want the city to do something differently. You want the province to do something differently. But ultimately, you're also building for the long term. And so you're always building each other's leadership capacities. You're building their communication skills, whatever, right? That it's not just uh, get out and protest. It's like, let's stay together, work together, get better at uh, whatever we're trying to do and achieve our goals over the long run. And similar to that, when people are sounding me out to see if this Mm -hmm. feels like a place they want to be, one of the concerns is that It'll be a gathering of people who come with an agenda, right? They come because there's something they know need, they, they really feel strongly needs more support, and here's where they want to find support for that thing, which is true. There yeah. are things that need support, but please come ready to hear other people Absolutely. and broaden your own understanding where none of us ever done learning. Right, exactly. You know, when I think about what's going to happen that weekend and what I might talk about, I know that there's a couple things that I'm interested in that I'll want to share. And if people are excited about it, great. But if not, I think I'll be excited about what other people are interested in, right? So for me, as somebody at Lakehead University, one of the things that's really pressing is just the housing challenges, the housing shortage, especially for our international students that are coming to Lakehead. Couple that with the need to build environmentally sound green housing, right? That's, I hope there's a conversation around that. But if there's not, that's okay, right? I'll be interested in what other people are, are wanting to talk about. And then sort of long-term, I look at Thunder Bay as a place that 
that is in a unique spot where it could really build itself for the future, right? Where we really think about everything as we were supposed to, I think, because the city did adopt the, the acknowledgement that we are in a climate crisis. So it, if the city really took that seriously and thought about how do we put down the infrastructure so that this is a clean, healthy community in 100 years, in 200 years, when it perhaps grows to 150,000, 200,000, as there are more and more climate refugees, like let's start laying that foundation. So for me, it's kind of that short-term goal, like let's think about green housing for the community, and then that long-term goal, let's think about broader infrastructure for the community. I know I'm going to be able, you know, if people sort of look at me strange, like, no, I don't want to work on that. I know there will be other things that will invariably fit into that anyway, right? If somebody else is excited about projects in, around the lake, that that fits, right? That helps us think about a city that's going to be healthier in 200 years. And so, yeah, I, I, similarly, I hope people just come with ideas. We need them to come with ideas, mm-hmm. uh, but then being open to hearing other people's getting excited, sort of, and I guess this circles back to our role, right? Sort of try to read the room and see where that little bit of energy pops. And that happens in the classroom too. So it could happen here. You'll People are talking about this idea, that idea, and then somebody says something. I had this happen this summer in a class where one of my students was working on um, just learning more about the history of sign language, trying to learn sign language herself as part of her project. And like everybody started popping. They're like, that's so cool. Oh, I should learn. You know, and so all of the energy is just sort of funneled around that one project. I don't know if that'll happen uh, during our weekend, but I bet there will be moments of that where there will certainly be a few ideas that everybody just kind of gravitates to. And, and I guess that's going to be our job, right? Saying, hey, there's where the energy is. Let's follow the energy, yeah. which yeah. is a lot better than following the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, following the money can help you find out where the problems are, but it's much more forensic yeah, than exactly. social. And this will be social. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. What that makes me think of, though, even shorter range, as I was driving in to see you, I'm listening to CBC, of course. Of course. And they were profiling a church in Vaughan, which has become, it's a small community that's close enough to Toronto, it's kind of become a bedroom community. They've had a crisis this year of mostly recent immigrants to Canada who cannot find housing and food. And this church has chosen to figure out how to make their infrastructure accommodate uh, people so they're fed and sheltered, their community to meet further gaps, and their savvy to reach beyond that so people get integrated and cared for. So this pastor is talking about what my job looks like nowadays. (laughs) And he's also looking at the wealth that they was invisible to them until Mm -hmm. it was called upon, right? A parking lot, a kitchen, a bathroom. Right. Yeah. So right now in Thunder Bay, we have a crisis and it's been met in that what was invisible homelessness, people couch surfing Mm -hmm. or finding a corner, um, a heated bank teller space or something in which to find shelter have been supported with tents. Yeah. and an official permission to have a space to live. Yeah. But that's not good enough. No. It's so damn that's cold, and there's so many yeah. more of us. Right. So I feel like in Thunder Bay, too, there might be even more immediate solutions that might bubble up, and people right. say, maybe my church could do something. Maybe my community center could. Maybe my parking lot could. And I, I, I would be ready for that to happen, though. Who knows, yeah, right? We'll right. see what happens. And just, and just coordinating those efforts, again, in, in Fargo, which had similar kind of dynamics and similarly cold winters, right? Just a number of faith groups recognized that no one of them could handle this, right? They, one could open up their church basement, but that would house 10, 15 people and 500 people needed housing. And so it, there was an interfaith coalition that came together and they, they both managed that problem for about three to five winters, if I'm remembering correctly. And at the same time, they were working with the cities. It's really Fargo and Moorhead. There's sort of two cities that are just separated by the river, but they really worked with them and said, look, we've got the Band-Aid solution going here, but that also gave them the leverage to say, you've got to come up with the real solution, and they did, right? And so, you know, that strikes me as the kind of example of the projects that are needed, address that immediate concern, take care of people's immediate needs, but don't focus only on that. Also look at the political solution that's needed, put the pressure on those who can solve that problem. You know, and I think that's where people sometimes get stopped. It's like, well, I can't, I can't solve that problem. I, I can't build housing. But if there's 500 of us who go to the city and say we need housing, then we're, now we're talking. Right? Now we're talking that they can't just ignore that and 
put that under the, the rug or anything like that. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's what I think will come out of the gathering is that sense of, okay, both here are some short-term actions we can take in identifying kind of the long-term goal. Yeah, and that is also one of the, one of the motivators of the gathering is the city has made these big declarations and city staff have invested a lot into finding out what solutions are already out there in other places that might apply here right. or proposing. But there's a gap between proposed solutions and adopted solutions that cannot easily be bridged without general understanding of them and being willing to voice to our leaders, our elected representatives, what you want to see happen and why you you support it. Uh, So making deputations to council, that's one of the things there'll be a workshop to help people know how to do. Having more information about what's being recommended up and about and people you can ask questions of as part of what's going to be there. because it can be easy to complain. It can be yeah. easy to immediately worry, I heard something different is going to happen. How could it possibly go wrong? And harder to kind of dig in and imagine it and decide whether it is what you think would be a good solution. Um, so this is an opportunity to see those doors to deeper absolutely. understanding and, and being a more um, vocal citizen. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we just talked about in class this week um, was just a thing that I learned in a community organizing class called the Power Resource Triangle. And what it helps people do, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about it, is that we're generally pretty good at identifying the problems, and so that's sort of at the base of the triangle. And we often know where we need to go, actually, but it's that in-betweens, right? We don't know how to take those in-between steps. We don't know how to go from identifying the problem because we can't take that huge leap to solving the problem, right? We can identify a housing crisis, but we can't solve it this year. And so figuring out what all those intermediate steps are and that power resource triangle really helps you sort of like you were saying, identify that you've got resources that you didn't even recognize as resources, as you say, a parking lot, a kitchen, sometimes it's that. People are an incredible resource, and that's part a big part of what we're doing, right, is just trying to get people together because we know that they will have um, ideas, they'll have energy, right? Those are all, again, resources. And so if we can, you know, help people figure out what's that next step instead of what's just the end goal, then I think they'll feel empowered and they'll want to come back because they want to work on that next manageable step that is also within their reach, right? And, you know, I think some of those metaphors are going to be really important. Well, that was part of what Becca May said. She's yeah. like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, lots to talk about, but yeah. I'm not willing to make time for a talk fest. If we don't have a plan, (laughs) we got to have a plan, we got to have goals, right? I think that was the first time we connected too over that idea, right? It was uh, just like, you know, how many people do we expect there? Well, whoever shows up, that's not, that can work, right? If you're holding a Christmas party, (laughs) but if you, if you really have goals, if you really want to get things done, you know, we're, we're engaged in political activity in this, right? And we need to bring people together and we need to be really intentional about it. And we, again community organizing right is having the ask right there's no here's the event i hope you can be there it's like here's the event can you be there i need your commitment to being there right that's really hard for a lot of people people are don't want to tell other people what to do i think you got to reframe it as i'm not telling you that not telling you you need to be there but can i get your commitment to be there that's a different kind of question and i think just, you know, that's part of what I think I'm doing a workshop on that. Is that correct? I think <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, explaining to people why you care about the issue is really important, as you talked about, pointing out how people's just everyday managing of their lives or of an issue can be inspiring to people. That's one thing that we got to do. And then we need to figure out how to then also... If we have inspired anybody, if anybody's inspired by the group, let them know what that next step is and where they need to be and when and what their role is in it, because that's also really important. If people just continue to show up and they never have a role, never have ownership over it, they're going to be like, okay, that's nice, good luck. Mm -hmm. But if they know that they're essential to the next step and the next step, then hopefully they'll keep coming back. And the other power of people is, I know I'm not alone in this, I only worry about something until I sit down with someone and talk about it and somehow the magic of a conversation can turn a worry into an idea, even a proposal, even, and then once you know, again, what your proposal is, you think of other people that would be so powerful to join in. And when you get approached by someone saying, I thought of you because we want to do this thing and you'd be perfect for this, that is so much more inviting and positive 
than a sort of vague, I know you care about this, so you should be at this thing. Right, exactly, yeah. And I think for me also it's about accountability. When I know that somebody else cares about an issue, I'm much more likely to act on it. If I think I'm the only one who cares about it, I'm like, eh, I'm probably okay if I don't work on this problem. But if I know that my friend uh, cares about it and I want to support my friend, then I will support them. And if, then if I find out that there's five people who care about it, then I really want to be part of that group and I want to be accountable to them. I want to support them. And so, yeah, that dynamic and really getting to sharing those values, right? So that, again, as you say, it's not just, oh, here's this thing that you should be interested in, but we share these values and we want to accomplish this goal. Let's work together. And I see you. Yeah. I see and value you. I see you, hear you. Exactly. All of those things are so important, right? Um, yeah. If we, if we can't, and I don't think we'll have any trouble connecting on that level. What I think will happen is people will be surprised by how immediate those connections are and how powerful those are. That's what I've found in this little bit that I'm gonna do on the public narrative. Um, probably the best time I did, I was asked to, to sort of do something for residence assistance at uh, NDSU where I used to work, right? And so I don't know what I'm getting into. I'm talking to a bunch of, you know, probably 19, 20 year olds. They were mainly second or third year because they were in charge of their dorms, right? And so I told, I sort of showed them how to to share their public narrative and they're young I'm not sure what they're going to do when they do it all of them had such powerful stories you know about either a challenge that they had faced or a challenge that their family had faced and how they had overcome that there were people crying this was like a 90 minute workshop right and this group that had known each other you know I don't know probably a couple of semesters had never really known each other and now they're like crying and hugging and they are tight and they are going to support each other. And that hasn't happened every time I've done this workshop. But I think with this group, knowing what people are going to bring, that there's going to be something like that. There's going to be a sense of really strong connection and, and a sense that I want to be a part of this group. I want to be connected to these people. Yeah. And we are building some infrastructure connection. Like we got some funding to create yeah. a website and keep it current so that you can find out what's going on at one site and keep it within the region. It's not just Thunder Bay, because right. Thunder Bay is so tied yeah. to the whole region. We're a bit of a hub, yeah. so we have to make sure um, we honor that connectedness. Um, I wanted to, to bring it back. So another thought that when you're talking makes me think of is, I hope, and I think we need to set it as a goal, that there will be sparks yeah. in the coming yeah. months coming out of this where people say, you know what, I love that 20-minute workshop you did, but I want the 90 minutes. Right. Can you do something, Kevin, so I can right. do a whole 90 minutes and I can bring other people that I know would love to be mm -hmm. here but didn't know mm -hmm. about this and other sorts of sparks of all kinds that we can uh, look forward to yeah. coming out of the gathering. Yeah, that's. I love that idea. And I think also the idea of practice, right, that none of this... If I do a 20-minute workshop and teach people how to do a public narrative, they need to practice it, not just once, not just twice, just like anything else, playing an instrument, uh, playing a sport, you got to practice this over and over again. So yeah, th that'll be really important. And have, I think we've talked about too, right, we've got to make sure that there are a couple of next steps already in place so that people know that this isn't a one-time gathering, oh, that was nice, I met some interesting people. It was more like a, just a, an event rather than a community organizing initiative. Mm -hmm. And so if we have some of those um, next steps in place and if those allow people to practice some of the skills that they get at this first event, then I think we're going to be able to build something for sure. What I've learned about myself already in this gathering is that I'm, I'm really good at the long goal. Yeah, yeah right? that's it really the attracts top of the me. triangle. Yep. <laughs> I love to imagine. And for me, the long goal is so enticing. It yep. really is about... Well, for instance, as I was making breakfast this morning, I was listening to CBC podcast. All right. <laughs> but it was it was what on earth, and what mm. on earth did a little chat about somebody not being able to repair an appliance. They put a call out. Does that happen to you? They were inundated with people mm -hmm. that don't just have a story of an appliance that they had trouble repairing, but how much that bothers them because it feels so wrong to have to throw things out yeah. and replace them. And the news of it was that there's been a, a unanimously passed law uh, in Canada for a right to repair that was just passed. Mm. Did you hear about it in the news? I did not. No, I love it, though. One of the other things I've taught over the last five years has been computer science ethics. And one of the units that we look at is uh, around 
cell phones and what a problem they are. And, you know, in Europe, they have a green phone uh, that is repairable. So the lifetime of it is much more significant. Um, it's lower power just so that it doesn't need the constant charging that our phones need. They're still working on the labor rights to it, right? But they're really thinking about it from beginning to end. And in terms of beginning, they make sure that they aren't using uh, illegally mined minerals for the construction of it, right? And so that, that, that's the one that I keep going, where is that in North America? Why don't we have a green phone? Uh, but yeah, same sort of thing. We need to have uh, we need to have repairable devices. And right now we have the opposite of that, right? We have planned obsolescence. Well, Ben loves to collect old engines, and his favorites are from the 20s and 30s, when settlers had just gotten to the point of being able to kind of upgrade. But what they would shop for would have to be durable and repairable, and something that anybody can repair doesn't require specialized equipment or skills. Uh, So one of his favorite things is a repair manual for 12 and 13-year-olds that were given two weeks at a university to learn how to repair every motor out there in Canada at that time. It's so achievable, but imagine how different it would be if I didn't have to replace stuff as much, if I knew locally the person who could yeah. fix things. Well, you're doing a great job with this computer here that looks like it might be from, I won't even guess. <laughs> I don't know even where to go with this, right? We need, we need to think differently about our objects. In some ways, it circles back to our discussion about degrowth, right? This is another strategy that's part of the degrowth strategy, right, is the repair component that we need to be working with, whether it's computers or cell phones or other things in our houses, we need to figure out how to repair them. And we just got to that era where it was buy and replace, buy and replace, throw in the landfill, right? And then then we don't even, most people aren't very aware of where all that stuff in the landfill goes. And, you know, I think it got some attention that we were, when Canada got caught shipping its uh, e-waste uh, to India, I believe it was, but that's just ridiculous that that, that even exists. And mm-hmm. so, you know, those are the sorts of things that I think if people know about them, they're going to go, no, that's, that's just wrong. We need to find a different way of handling our garbage, right? It's about out of sight, out of mind yeah. is no longer good enough. Yeah. And also, we can do a lot of things to scale without needing a giant steam engine in order to make whatever it is that yeah. you have to make enough of that your market needs to be global. Uh, a lot of things can now be cost-efficiently made where they're used. Yeah. And if we value that, we can help make that happen, which would be, again, putting value on smaller scale things Absolutely. and giving voice to local needs in a way that's not currently there, mm-hmm. but it's very achievable. Right. And for me, the interesting thing living in a place like Thunder Bay is that that makes so much sense. We're so far from everywhere. Everything that comes here comes with huge transportation, shipping costs, which come with huge environmental impacts, right? This is this is the place where that sort of thinking and that sort of approach just makes a lot of sense. We're, we're essentially an island, right? Uh, and so the more we can do to to produce locally, to consume locally, it just makes sense on every level. Sometimes there's a pushback against this broadening to things like what you buy, what you repair, mm. who has housing, what the cost of things are, and say that, no, 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 you're distracting from the main cause. The main cause is, and it's something much more narrowly focused. And usually it's we need to get the people in power to do things differently. And I feel like that is part of the solution, raising our voices and being heard by those in leadership positions. But leaders are most often followers, and the clearer we are on what we want to see happen that fits for our specific community because we know ourselves and we know Mm -hmm. our relationships, the better the odds we'll get what we're looking for and and more quickly. Yeah. One of the things that uh, Dean Spade, who we look at in, in our class as well on mutual aid, is if you ask for more, you'll get more. And so we were, we were trying to think through that. What does that look like? And it was really interesting. My students were a little reticent to ask for more, but then we kept pushing at it and, and they really said, okay. And again, we circled back to housing, which we've been talking about all semester there. It's just like, we need to ask for, as university students, we need free housing. Not that they're going to get free housing, but let's start with that, right? And it's part of a negotiation process too, but if you ask for more you'll get more. If they ask for, we need subsidized housing, they're certainly not going to get free housing and they might get no housing, right? And so, you know, I think being bold is going to be important uh, for the group to also just feel like we're not just doing the same old thing, right? 
uh, I think having some bold visions will hopefully excite people as well. Okay, so my bold vision on housing is that housing and food and education should not be commodities at all. There you go. They should be community commitments. And if people want to go above and beyond and have a more luxurious house or import a lot of their food or something, that's that's the commodification. Right. And that's where I think things need to go. Right, right. And and healthcare, right, even though it's available broadly in Canada, it's under uh, some fire and some concerns. And so having... And it has some huge gaps, which is why, you know, I have to sell insurance. Exactly. And having lived in the U.S. for 20 years and seen what happens when healthcare becomes a commodity, we do not want that. (laughs) Yeah. So there's so many ways in which I think if we listen to each other, we can each contribute, you know, like the little honeybee in my hives, each one does just a little bit, like this yep. little tiny yep. bit of pollen on its legs and nectar in its belly that gets like boiled down to a tenth of what it's carried in. And yet, hokey jiggity, they can feed whole other species, those bees. And I, I think humans are just as, just as amazing when we, when we collaborate with purpose. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a fabulous metaphor. And, you know, we've actually, we've hit on lots of different images, right, in this conversation. And maybe that'll be something that we can help people pull together again figure out which which of the images that really resonate with people because i think the power of metaphors is that they kind of give you a guide right that is very accessible we started talking about the difference between anthropocene and degrowth degrowth is much more accessible as a concept your metaphor of the honeybees is much more accessible as a way to work together to achieve a goal and i really love uh sometimes that idea that you achieve that goal without even really working on it right it just happens those honeybees aren't going here's a, they're actually not going here's our goal they're just doing their job right they're doing what they're made to do and then that incredible product comes out of that you know that's another way to think about what we're trying to do because I think people do worry and get hung up on oh we're not achieving what we need to achieve we're not going fast enough but if everybody's working and then we look up and go oh we've made some change we've made some progress right that's kind of I think what we might be able to see over the next few years thanks Kevin this has been so much fun it's been fun thank you uh what a pleasure having you here can't wait to hear this and all the other podcasts that you're working on this season thank you I chatted with Kevin Brooks in the sunroom of his home in Thunder Bay. I've got links to the many things we referenced there at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. I've also got the lyrics and chords to this song that that conversation inspired. I know, I could have focused on so many things. We talked about degrowth. We talked a lot about housing. We talked about connections and, and storytelling, community building, listening But what really sparked my creative heart was Kevin's ode to composting as a metaphor for life. So, this is Growing Dirt.
sloppy brand brand new but kind of fun and totally inspired by kevin brooks and composting as a metaphor for life it's dirty it's messy it's alive i love it i love it that is growing dirt composed and recorded just now by me heather mcleod and i hope you like it kevin and find yourself humming it whenever you compost or garden or eat I love how Kevin values the spark a conversation can blow into a fire, how he approaches conversation as a give and a take. He's ready for it to lead and not just to lead it. I love how he honors where energy flares when we connect and the skill he brings, the thoughtfulness to helping build those sparks of interest, of engagement into the potential for change. I am so looking forward to being Kevin Brooks' foil and counterweight. Our job, as you heard, at the gathering on November 25th and 26th is to, when everybody reconvenes in each of the 10 topics, after that topic was introduced with insight and expertise, and after we all scatter to workshop within that topic or to, to chat and discuss it in a, in a breakout session, When we reconvene, it will be Kevin Brooks, with my help, who will help the group of us that gather start to decide what we agree on, what we all want to see happen, what we're willing to support, and also maybe what we agree we don't want to support. It's going to be great. I don't know where we'll go, and that's part of why it will be great. And I'm so glad that you are here listening proving my time was well spent in making this podcast. It is a one-woman show. I finance it, though I I welcome contributions and sometimes get them, which always makes my day. I research, I record, I edit and compose, I promote, and I am accountable for every error made. I send out a weekly email each season, just during the season, with some behind-the-scenes scoops, which you can sign up for. The same place you can donate. Or check out all those past episodes of this show now that we're in four seasons. That's all at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca And I'll be back next week. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different in Thunder Bay. I've got links to so I've got links to the many things we reference there at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. I've also got the lyrics and chords to this song that that conversation inspired. I know I could have focused on so many things. We talked about degrowth. We talked a lot about housing. We talked about connections and and storytelling, community building, listening. But what really sparked my creative heart was Kevin's ode to composting as a metaphor for life. So, this is Growing Dirt.
sloppy brand brand new but kind of fun and totally inspired by kevin brooks and composting as a metaphor for life it's dirty it's messy it's alive i love it i love it and i'm so glad that you are here that is growing dirt composed and recorded just now by me heather mcleod and inspired by brevin and me heather mcleod and i hope you like it kevin and find yourself humming it whenever you compost or garden or eat. I love how Kevin values the spark a conversation can blow into a fire, how he approaches conversation as a give and a take. He's ready for it to lead and not just to lead it. I love how he honors where energy flares when we connect and and the skill he brings, the thoughtfulness to helping build those sparks of interest, of engagement, into the potential for change. I am so looking forward to being Kevin Brooks' foil and counterweight. Our job, as you heard, at the gathering on November 25th and 26th is to, when everybody reconvenes within each of the 10 topics, after that topic was introduced with insight and expertise, and after we all scatter to workshop within that topic or to to chat and discuss it in a in a breakout session 
When we reconvene, it will be Kevin Brooks with my help, who will help the group of us that gather start to decide what we agree on, what we all want to see happen, what we're willing to support, and also maybe what we agree we don't want to support. It's going to be great. I don't know where we'll go, and that's part of why it will be great. I know I'm going to learn so much, and I'm already glad, so glad, to have had this conversation with Kevin Brooks, to be getting a chance to know him better, and to know that he's a part of all of this. And I am so glad that you are here, listening. Proving my time was well spent in making this podcast. It is a one-woman show. I finance it, though I do welcome and sometimes receive contributions. I research and record, I edit and compose, I promote a bit, and I am accountable for every error made. I send out a weekly email with some behind-the-scenes scoops during each session, during each season, darn it. And I'm so glad that you are here listening proving my time was well spent in making this podcast. It is a one-woman show. I finance it, though I, I welcome contributions and sometimes get them, which always makes my day. I research, I record, I edit and compose, I promote, and I am accountable for every error made. I send out a weekly email each season, just during the season, with some behind-the-scenes scoops, which you can sign up for. The same place you can donate. Or check out all those past episodes of this show now that we're in four seasons. That's all at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca And I'll be back next week. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different. Something different this way comes something. Something.